Well, good morning, Restoration Church. I have had two pots of coffee and three Red Bulls, so you expect me to run around a lot today. Apparently, I have a caffeine problem. I guess we'll talk about that later. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to see your son again. What's up, man? Glad you're paying attention, taking notes. Uh, man, my name is, as Jay DePoise said, I am a, I'm a trophy of grace. I'm a, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I walk with a spiritual limp. And I have come this morning to tell you about the mercy that has been shown to me. And I believe that if you've ever been a recipient, you will become a redistributor. And the mercy that's been shown to me is scandalous, borderline heretical mercy, the kind of mercy that only God uh, can explain or demonstrate through the cross. I understand that uh, we have been in a conversation here. I'd like to contribute to the conversation about what it looks like to live into the kingdom of God. This language of the kingdom that Jesus came to talk about and to demonstrate is something that not only descends the kingdom of heaven descending from heaven, but it also extends and reaches horizontally, right? And so it's something that we can advance this invisible kingdom moving forward. And so again, if you have your Bibles, join me in Mark chapter 4. I want to give you the historical context of the passage that we're about to read. And so um, as you're approaching this story, I want to kind of give you the backstory, okay? Because at this point in the story, the Jewish people were living in complete and under bondage in, under the shadow of the Roman Empire. It's early in Jesus's ministry He's this up-and-coming rabbi, and thousands of people would gather around him to hear him preach. They had seen the miracles. They saw him. The blind, the Billy the blind guy can see now, and Danny the deaf guy can hear now, and he's raising Lazarus and walking on water and feeding people, and, and people would come. Some people were coming for the tricks, for the gymnastics, for the sideshow attraction. It was like a circus, and other people were leaning into the promise, the promise of the coming of the kingdom of God. Last week I got coffee with Pastor Dave and we were just reflecting on that, that, that simple verse in Luke 4 where Jesus says, um, he talked about the good news, which is translation gospel. The gospel of the coming of the kingdom is not something that's static. It's not even something that you enter into. Rather, it's something that descends and it's on the move. And then once we've received it, what? We redistribute it. The good news of the coming of the kingdom. And so, Jesus is wildly popular at this point in the story. It's early in his ministry, thousands of people. They're in, they're on their home turf in the Galilee region. And Jesus is sitting with, it's a good time to be a disciple at this point, right? I mean, you're like, your, your rabbi is like the rock star of town. Everybody wants to be around him. Things are good if you're one of the disciples. And Jesus is about to drop a nuclear bomb on his disciples by an invitation. And we're going to read it, but, but, but let me just show you this nuclear bomb that he's about to drop on his disciples. Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 4, 1 verse 35, the Bible says, That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Get in the boat, let's go over to the other side. Now, you're like, where's the bomb? I don't get it. What's it? Here's the, that, that was, in case you just missed it, that was the bomb because let me explain why that was so absolutely detrimental. Jesus was more interested in inspiring his disciples' faith than he was in keeping his disciples safe. Here's the bomb. The other side, 
was the wrong side of the tracks. The other side was where the bad guys lived. The other side was the hood, the ghetto, the places where the bad guys are. The people who vote that way and look this way and wrestle with this. The other side of the bad, we don't go to the good Torah observant Jewish boys were told by their mothers, don't go to the other side. The last book of the uh, Bible, last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew. There's about 400 years of silence during that time. It's called the intertestamental period. And during that time, the Jewish people were steamrolled by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great rises in power and he establishes the Greco-Roman worldview. Hellenism. And there are three dominant components to Hellenism. Victory by human achievement. Physical beauty. And military might. Does that sound like any culture you're aware of today? Yeah, Alexander the Great's contribution to Western civilization continues. And during that time, Caesar then rises in power and the Roman government, the world's first global superpower, establishes this worldwide reign. Caesar owns and operates everything from India to Egypt. The entire globe is under the boot of the Roman Empire. On the other side, this is what I want you to understand, uh, Jesus and his disciples, when Jesus was a small boy in the Galilee region, in Nazareth, when he was a small boy, there was a handful of Jews that began to push back against the Roman Empire. You can read about this at Herrick District Library, the Maccabean Revolt. And as they pushed back, they had a little bit of victory, but Caesar hears about what happened, and he snaps his fingers and dispatches Vespasian, the Roman governor, the Roman military commander. And Vespasian comes in and bulldozes everything in his path and massacres a couple of thousand Jews when Jesus was a small boy. You don't mess with the other side. You don't go to the other side. For 2,000 people were crucified when Jesus was a small boy three miles from Jesus' hometown. Picture Jesus on his way to like Nazareth Elementary School with his like lunchbox, right? Like he's walking the dusty roads to the elementary school, right? And along the way are all these crucified hanging corpses as visible representations and billboards of the shock and awe campaign of the Roman emperor. You don't mess with the other side. This is what happens when you start talking about another kingdom. Matter of fact, let me show you a historical account of what happened. Let's go to the next slide. Um, when, when he went back, Caesar unleashed a legion of soldiers. To extend the scope of his raid, Caesar divided his eager legions into four bodies and for 50 miles around wasted the country with sword and flame. Places sacred and profane were raised indifferently to the ground. The troops escaped without a wound and they had been cutting down men half asleep, unarmed, or dispersed. Now this is, this is ancient history talking about what life was like in Jesus' day. Caesar's Roman troops were a legion. You're going to want to remember that word. Legion of soldiers. You don't go to the other side. Now rabbinic tradition, the rabbis talked about that on the other side, on the other side of the water, there was uh, along the shore, there were 10 cities. When you think Deca, that's decade, like 10, there were 10 cities in the Decapolis. Tropolis is the idea of city, 10 cities of the Roman government on the other side. The other side was everything that the Jewish people were not. There was a Greek pantheon of gods that were there. Zeus and Hermes and Demeter were all worshipped on the other side. Zeus's temple was on the other side. Let me give you another small example. What, what, what's the one thing that good Torah-observant Jewish people don't eat? 
right? Pork, bacon, right? No, bacon, poor lives, I know. Pork, swine, right? But on the other side, at Zeus's temple, they had a flagpole. At the top of the flagpole, if you will, was a motto or a symbol, and it was a boar's head, a pig's head, a, a bit sacrilegious. I mean, they had the Greek pantheon of gods, the goddess of fertility, the god of crops, the god of war. Depending on what you were going through, you prayed to that god. On the other side, Jews don't go to the other side. And Jesus says to his disciples, get in the boat. The disciples are going to be like, what, Jesus? Um, this goes in direct disobedience to my mom. Don't, fine, don't tell my mom. Right? They, they, and apparently they're all taking notes. Right? We have them recorded. Their diaries, their personal diaries are written down in the Synoptic Gospels. Like, okay, today was a crazy day. <laughs> Jesus said, get in the boat. Now watch what happens. Now that you understand that's the bomb that Jesus drops, an invitation to follow him into the mouth of the monster. Watch what happens now as they go to the other side. Next slide. They went across the lake to the region of the ten cities, the Decapolis. When they get to the other side, Jesus gets out of the boat, and a man with an impure spirit or a demon-possessed man came from the tombs to meet him. And this man had lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. And the general idea is he had tried everything. He had gone to Barnes & Noble and got the self-help manual. He went to the conference he watched the, 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 the TV show and the movie, just believe in yourself. He sang all the songs. He went to the therapist. He was put on medication. He was prescribed this. He tried electromagnetic shock therapy. He tried everything, and there was no psychiatric system or medication that could stop this demonic force that had overpowered this man until eventually they said, go stay down there. They chained him to a graveyard. That's your new identity. And his only hope was a fearless rabbi who would lead his disciples to the other side and his only hope had a name by the way your higher power has a name his name is jesus and he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last the lion of the tribe of judah he is the gate the good shepherd the everlasting life the way the truth and the life and now he had come to deliver the captives and set them free and if the son has set you free you are free indeed and then this, this was ultimately the invitation to his disciples to go to the other side, literally living in the unclean, open graves of the Decapolis. He sees Jesus, and he falls on his feet. Let's go to the next slide. For when he, let's see, yeah, when he saw Jesus from a distance... Can you go to the next slide? Yeah. There you go. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he, he ran and he fell on his, face, in his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit, you unclean demon. Jesus told him, 
asked him, next slide. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And what does he say? My name is, you see what's going on here? You see what Mark apparently wants us to understand 2,000 years later in Zealand? Do you understand that this was a subversive slam on the Roman Empire? Do you understand Jesus went to confront the darkness? Now picture the disciples sitting in the boat. Like what, I just picture like steam rising over the eastern horizon as the sun is rising and as they, as they look out over the water on the shoreline, they, they, they get to the other side of the boat and the only thing, there's only one person that can greet them there in the Decapolis and it's one crazy naked guy. <laughs> like the disciples are like, what? Of course, that's the other side. This is why it's not PG rated, right? We, we go to the other, this is what happens on the other side. Jesus said, they were all like filling their diapers, freaking out, except for probably Peter. You know, he's about ready. I got this, Jesus. I'll pop a cap and crack a 40. What you want me to do? You know, like, Jesus, like, I got this, right? And the, and here, here's this dude, and he's just like, what do you want with me? Isn't it interesting, by the way, throughout history, people have always been a little confused on the identity of Jesus. Who are you? Are you the one to come? Are you, and to the state, well, he was a good teacher. He was a good moral leader. He was a historic activist. He was this, he was that. But it was always the demons that were crystal clear. We know exactly who you are. You say you believe in God, James says, good. So are the demons, and they tremble. Now, the original hearers, let's go to the next slide, if you will. The original hearers would have recognized immediately that idea of legion referred to the Roman troops. This was a smack in the face of the empires and the cultures and kingdoms of their day. For in the recent experience, Roman troops had burned the Jewish villages around and towns such as Magdala. By the way, Mary Magdalene, where do you think she was from? Magdala, burned to the ground. A town called Sephoris, burned to the ground and slaughtered or enslaved thousands of Jewish peasants. And this was just three miles from Jesus' hometown. This was the culture. This was the day. And yet, this was the invitation to go to the other side. And so as there aren't necessarily a lot of pig farmers in the Jewish culture, right? On the other side, there were a lot of them. And that's why nearby, while this is happening, on the other side of the hill, there was a bunch of pigs going on. A bunch of pig farmers were all scattered around. Now, demonic forces need a container, okay? They have to go somewhere into something or someone. And so they're arguing now with Jesus. Let's go to the next slide. Watch this one. Now the passage continues. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep, uh, the steep bank into the lake and they were drowned. Now the disciples who grew up in the oral tradition of the Hebrew Scriptures and understood their position as God's chosen people who had been radically delivered out of Egypt, this would have triggered and invoked memories of the oral tradition. You know the story. Where God rescued Israel out of Egypt and as they went to the other side of the Red Sea, and as Jesus parted the, or God parted the waters and the nation of Israel went safely across the other sea, it was the enemy that chased him, the legion of soldiers that chased him from the Egyptian army. And then God snaps his fingers, the water collapses around them, and the entire Pharaoh's entire Egyptian army is now drowning in the water on their way to the other side. Do you understand? This was all about deliverance and 
freedom. Freedom. Always about freedom. Picture that scene. Now, disciples are like, what do we do? We get out of the water. We take our seatbelts off. What do we, I, I'm not really sure what to do, what just happened. And, and then the, the, there's this crazy naked guy down in his right mind. To whom shall I go? I tried everywhere else. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time getting a job. I don't have much of a resume. I got no other options. There's no plan B. Jesus, let me follow you. Let me be lucky number 13, disciple number 13. I wonder if he went, like, he's like literally like getting one foot into the boat and Jesus stops him. Look at this next slide. Look at what the text says. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, no, watch this. I need you to go home and tell your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to wander around the Decapolis and he began to tell people the story. Let me, let me tell you about the good news of this fearless rabbi who came to set me free. <laughs> the text says, and all the people were amazed because they all recognized him. Crazy Danny's here. And what's crazy is, and Pastor Dave pointed this out, he, you know, he said, we often read a text like this and we think, well, that's good. Jesus delivers those guys on the other side. We see um, other people as the Pharisees or other people as a demoniac, but rarely do we hear the story and find ourselves in a position of captivity or bondage and someone whom Jesus has set free. The other side. This morning I've come to tell you of the mercy that has been shown to me. Because that was me, that was my story. Part of my journey, the hopelessness and despair of self-destruction sent me like, like a tailspin of, of downward spiral down into the basement of the Muskegon County Jail. I had a moral failure. I lost everything, lost all hope, lost most of my friends, lost my way, lost my sense of identity, my occupation. I lost everything, and I was suicidal. I was at rock bottom. And it was there, in the annex of the Muskegon County Jail, by God's grace, He rescued me from me. And He set me free. And it was there that I began to understand that Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And it was there that I began to like realign my sense of identity. This, sense, this target audience then moved from any kind of safety to like, I want to go take this message of the gospel to people who otherwise might be at rock bottom because I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It was 15 years ago. We packed up everything and moved my family down to Asheville, North Carolina. You ever, anybody ever been to Asheville? Beautiful down there, right? Beautiful country. A very peculiar spot of the region because it's like surrounded by the Bible Belt of the Southern Baptist, but it's also this very, very liberal melting pot. It's like the San Francisco of the South. 
we moved there into the mountains. We, you know, I, I, a friend of the family had a place we could live and just kind of trying to rebuild our life. And I got a job waiting tables in the city and, and just kind of like trying to like understand a new identity. And everybody I met had some kind of bad experience with organized religion. Like the mother back here who said her children or grandchildren don't want anything to do with organized religion. Yeah, I get it. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd be at this restaurant working. I'd be like washing dishes. Like, yeah, me too. I know. <laughs> I know a little something about that. And every Friday night in downtown Asheville, there was, uh, there was uh, the whole city descends in the center of Pritchard Park, and they have what's called a drum circle. You ever been to one of these things? It's like you could literally, the whole city beating on bongos and djembes, like, like you could hear like the vibration the, 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 for like a mile away. You can feel the whole sidewalk. And like you get in the center of it all and people are like dancing. But the context was like a lot of like hyper like Wiccan, like witch, witchcraft and like sp- new age spirituality and a lot of like just insanity and chaos, a lot of darkness and a lot of people searching for freedom. And down there, there were, uh, there were some well-intending, organized, professional religious people with lots of signs that said, God hates gays, and bullhorns that says, you know, you're all going to hell and all this. And, and, then, um, and there was just a lot of hate, I call them hate preachers, a lot of hate being spewed. And I was just like, you know, and they're quoting from Romans chapter 1 uh, about, you know, the wrath of God. And so I'm like, but if you read a couple of verses earlier, it says, it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. So why don't you proclaim the goodness of God? Why don't you talk about the goodness of God? And so it's just me and my three daughters, like, and they're like toddlers. They're like little kids, right? And they're down there with me. I'm taking my kids down to the drum circle. And we just started like holding up signs of our own that says, God loves the whole world. <laughs> and my, I got Mariah holding up a sign that said, free hugs. <laughs> People would line up for hugs. I mean, old school high fives, hugs, right? And then Ambry is holding up signs of free bottled water because people are dancing and they're all sweaty. Like, here's bottled water. And then other people just like, hold up. They ask to hold up. Free prayer. And you'd be shocked. People come up like, prayer. All right, yeah. I mean, could you, could you throw a word up to the man upstairs about my grandma? She's got cancer. And they're like, yeah, tell us what's her name. We're praying. Start praying. More people start joining. We start handing out food and water and clothes to the intentionally homeless population down there, people who are far from God. Why are you doing this? One of the guys that I met was a guy named Happy. Now, he wouldn't give us his real name because he had about 42 warrants out for his arrest, apparently. But this is a picture. Do you have a picture of Happy? Um, yeah, this is Happy, and you just meet this guy and you just fall in love with him immediately. He just had a sense of humor. He was hilarious. But Happy, um, I just began to hang out with him and build him, uh, build this relationship and began to pr- like just tell him about the good news of Jesus. And so we began to explore this. And, and there were more people like Happy, you know, that, that were coming. Happy would come and... Uh, and, and, and then, like, um, we'd get coffee and we would talk. And, and by the way, so that Friday night, uh, those Friday night gatherings, like, we started taking over downtown. Like, more people wanted to join us. Like, why are you doing this? We're like, well, because we think Jesus meant it when he said the world will know you're my disciples by your clever bumper stickers, by your what would Jesus do bracelet, by your, will, your capacity to win arguments. No. Building relationships, listening, just by your love. By dropping the rocks and the judgment. More people wanted to be a part of that. More people wanted to join what we were doing. I looked around, I was like, you know what this is? This is church. We're having church up in here. 
And, and, and like literally a big crowd began to join us and we took over two blocks away was the Asheville Performing Arts Theater. So we moved to the Asheville Performing Arts Theater on Sunday mornings for a gathering of really ragmuffin broken people who walk with spiritual limps and have criminal records and won't even tell you the real name because they got a bunch of warrants. That was the core group. We called ourselves Exodus Church, the Liberation Project. And there I was on the stage telling people about the mercy that had been shown to me walking with a spiritual limp, leading with the brokenness, identifying and empathizing with people who are at rock bottom and just showing people the love of God. One day, happy stopped coming around. I got a really bizarre, awkward um, phone call in the middle of the night. By the way, um, I, you know, I get a lot of phone calls. Like I, 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 have, I tell people about the spiritual gift of caller ID. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to take that call right now. I thought that was funny. Um, so... I didn't take the call, but I woke up in the morning and I was happy. And happy was apparently bipolar manic. So he was having an episode. He decided that he was going to cuss me out and tell everybody that he was going to blow his mother head off. Right? He was done with life. Okay. And I don't know what flipped inside me. But I went in this radical pursuit of trying to track him down. Hard when the guy's homeless and no one's seen him. Walk in the streets when there's a transient culture here today, gone tomorrow. Happy had once described to me a place where he would sometimes squat some property and through the woods, there was an old abandoned shed. And I went everywhere looking for him. Have you seen Happy showing up? No, everybody knew Happy. No, you haven't seen him in a while. I haven't seen him in a while. I literally, through the woods, saw the shed. I said, that's gotta be it. I went to the shed. I kicked the door open. I literally thought I was gonna find a Kurt Cobain situation. And there was Happy's sleeping bag. He wasn't in there. I sat there. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, till eventually Happy came, right around dusk, Happy comes back to his sleeping bag, and I'm sitting there waiting for him. I found you. And I slapped him, and I hugged him. I said, don't ever do that again. I've been looking everywhere for you, man. And you're not getting away that easy. We're going to get you help. And you're walking with me, and I'm walking with you, and let's do this. Happy came out of that episode. He apologized, and he began to like really develop this idea of fostering community in a support network. And so we gave him a job at the, at the Exodus Church. He became the barista. Like he's a dude making coffee for people at the front of the church family coming in, right? Like happy there. Happy always. And by the way, he's, he applied for Section 8 housing. And so what does he do? He's got a one-bedroom apartment like the studio apartment in downtown Asheville. So what does he do? He goes and gets as many people to violate fire code, right? Everybody he can think of that's homeless, come stay with me. I went over there one time, and I'm like stepping over people. They're all sleeping and crashing on Happy's floor, and they're having community, right? Like, okay. Now, Happy had some crazy friends. You think Happy's crazy? Crazy, cray, right? Cray-cray followed Happy, okay? And one of Happy's friends was Lyra. Lyra was going through gender identity confusion transition, and, and Lyra was very, very vocal and violent in his atheism. Lyra would come every Sunday, but Lyra would come, and Lyra would sit in the back, arms crossed, and go like this all the time. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. Like, like, want now's the time for questions? Like, 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 want to debate? Like. Why do you even come that? If you, you, know, you would come afterwards, we talk. We would argue and like argue theology. Of like, no, whatever, man. I don't know. No matter what I say, it's the wrong thing. So we then we would hug and it was awkward. Like, okay, like I don't, I don't know why. Just but Lyra kept coming because Lyra knew that Lyra was loved. When you come here, you loved. Until Lyra got picked up 
for drugs. Lear disappears. Lear's in county, Buncombe County Jail. I get a collect phone call from, you get those calls too, don't you, Dave? Collect phone call, county jail. Oh, yeah. Lear is locked up. Okay, so I tell the church family, hey, Lear is in jail. Lear doesn't have a family. We're Lear's family. We're going to write letters to Lear. So all these people, several hundred people were coming now, right? Start writing, bombarding Lear with letters and love in jail. <laughs> so I go visit Lear in jail. I'm sitting, you know, through the phone, through the glass kind of thing, and there's Lyra, and Lyra's got the mascara, right, and the bra, and the Adam's apple, and the confusion, and crying, and like, I don't understand, this doesn't make any sense, but you're my only family. Lyra gets out, and Lyra starts joining the church family, and just began to sat in the back. Now, um, I, I remember there was one other guy named Chris. Chris got dropped off by the Salvation Army, and uh, and Chris had served time um, for some pretty violent crimes and then disappeared. And, uh, and, and when they dropped him off to our church family, he asked me if I would disciple him. Of course, we'll hang out. We'll spend some time together. And just began to pour into Chris and just began to just like share with him the love of Jesus. And, uh, and so as Chris is uh, following Jesus, he says, will you baptize me? And so I remember going uh, down to the French Broad River behind Asheville there and baptizing Chris and just pouring into Chris and developing Chris into leadership potential and our church family because we didn't have a whole lot of other options, right? Like that's what we're working with. And so we're just pouring into Chris. And then you get, you know, then there's that awkwardness. Like, by the way, like, you know, there's Happy. Happy had the group, you know, that would come on Saturday nights, like from his, if the rule was if you sleep in my house, you got to come to church with me. <laughs> so next day, like next day, here comes Happy in the church, and there's some of the craziest people like walking in tow behind him, you know, coming in, like, all right, who are these people? Like, hey, Jay, I brought some friends with me. Okay, I'm like, awesome. He's like, he's got, you think there's a role that they can play in the revolution? I'm like, well, sure. They can be on the hospitality team. Just put some clothes on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just wild, right? So there, that was, that was the dysfunction, this crazy, beautiful, Electric coming of the kingdom of God. Chris, however, disappeared. Chris disappeared. If you know anything about addiction and they're on the run, they've all gone. I didn't look for Chris everywhere, couldn't find Chris. It was Halloween. My daughters are little. They were in their Halloween costumes. I remember driving home. Downtown Asheville, I'm in a red light. Windows are down. And I just hear, I'm literally at a red light. Uh, families in the van, and I just hear this, Jay. I look over, literally on the corner, and there's these bushes, and there's Chris. He's got this hoodie on and the like hat over his hat, and he's like hiding in the bushes, like Jay, Jay. <laughs> okay, like pull my car over for a second. Okay, hold on, girls, one second. Daddy's got to go talk to him. Put it in park. Like go, go talk to Chris in the bushes over this downtown ass. Like what's going on, man? I've been looking everywhere for you. He's like Jay. I got in some trouble. I need help. Okay, what's going on, Chris? He's like, I ran up a drug debt. Guy's going to kill me. I need $200. You know? And I just remember, like, there was an awkward moment of, like, they, I don't remember this being covered in Seminary 101. Like, do, do, you, do you or do you not pay off drug debts? <laughs> you know, like, and before we laugh it off and think it's an obvious answer, like, the reality is, if you know something, something about substitutionary penal atonement, is that not like what God did for us? Now, ultimately, I'm not going to give the guy cash, right? I, I don't have $200, so it wasn't easy. I, can't, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you this. If you come next Sunday back to our church family, we'll wrap our arms around you and show you love. 
I didn't know what to expect. There's, we're in the third stanza of the fourth worship song, and sure enough, in our dark auditorium theater, the back door opens up, daylight comes in, and you know, like Clint Eastwood, like here comes Chris walking down the aisle, and he's walking down the aisle, and he's like hobbling, and if you look closely, there's blood pouring out of his forehead, and his finger had been ripped from his hand. It's just dangling there. And yeah, that was the, everybody, oh, that's crazy. You know, you're the grumbling, the whispering. I look at the worship leader. The worship leader looks at me, and we're like, eh, this isn't in the bulletin. Like, what do we do with this one? This is not in the program here, right? So I kind of, okay, dude, I'm down for, like, what's going on? Chris comes forward. Didn't have to say anything else. Chris wraps his arms around my khaki pants, and he's filthy and bloody and grimy, and I was like, right? Because the gospel will mess with your khakis. Chris is sobbing. God, I'm so sorry. I'm coming back to you. God, I'm so sorry. I'm coming back to you. God, I'm so sorry. Sobbing. And as that's happening, in the back, comes Lyra down the aisle. And you tell your people, they don't, they don't like organized religion. We didn't have very organized anything. We we're like, okay, you'll like our, well, here comes Lyra. Lyra grabs the microphone. I didn't even know there was one over there. Like, is this on? Okay, hello. And I'm like, oh, cut the mic. What's going to happen? Like, I don't know what Lyra's going to say. And Lyra's like, I was in jail. And you guys all wrote me letters. I don't know where else to go. I've been living under a bridge. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I can't live like this anymore. We're about to have revival up in here, Lyra. The Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you ready to call on the name of Jesus, the only hope of the world? Falls on his knees. Jesus. 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 Do you have a picture of Lyra? I think I've got a picture of a couple of buddies here. Um, I'm I'm the one in the middle. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny, too. Um and th- so, yeah, but that's Lyra and one of Lyra's friends. This was just your average, like, Sunday. Uh, and, and so I, I, wa- I want to just demonstrate what it might look like to realign the energy of a group of disciples who are not going to sit on their blessed assurance and sing some glad morning, we'll fly away, while the rest of the world around us goes to hell. But God is on the move with the Great Commission. Church isn't a place you go to, it's a people you go as. So what does it look like for us to get in the boat and follow Jesus to the other side. I, I can't speak for you, but for me, I got it tattooed on my arms. Though none go with me, I'm going. Still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. And I hunt down the streets, downtown Holland, and I'm looking under bridges and in the ditches, highways and hedges and bushes, and I'm meeting people all the time who are hostile toward the gospel. But I believe that Jesus has come to set the captives free, and I believe that Jesus is inviting his church into a revolution of a revival. I also am praying for an arrival of the coming of the kingdom of God. I believe it's possible, and I believe Restoration Church is a part of that revolution. I've heard the heart of your pastor. I'm getting to know your leaders. And I believe that God is up to something and I'm meeting other pastors in Asheville who are all leaning into this agony and desperation for revival to come. One last thing. The first time Jesus shows up in the region of the Decapolis, he's met by one crazy naked guy. (laughs) 
And Jesus returns. Four months later, the Bible tells it goes like this. If you have the next slide. Then Jesus was there and he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they laid them at his feet and he healed them. And they praised who? Wait a second, what happened? The first time he comes, there's one crazy naked guy. Comes back four months later and there's thousands of people on the shore wanting to hear him. And they, by the way, they brought everybody who was needing to be delivered. What happened? One crazy naked guy with a criminal record and tattoos and walked with a spiritual limp, went door to door, knocking on the door saying, Hey, (laughs) remember me? I'm the guy you wrote off, said you had no future. I've come to tell you about the mercy that's been shown to me. <laughs> One crazy, who opened the door? His former high school principal kicked him out in 10th grade. <laughs> hey, remember me? Voted most likely to end up in the Decapolis prison. I've come to tell you about the mercy. Knocks on the next door. It's a pastor of the Decapolis Baptist Church. Hey, remember me? You excommunicated me. You said I was disqualified permanently, took away any hope of any kind of chance of restoration. Remember me? I came to tell you about the mercy that's been shown to me. And if you've ever been a recipient, you will be a redistributor. It goes like this. There's a pattern in the Bible. There's a theme that says, come. Come to Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see. But after you've come and you've seen and you've tasted of the goodness of God, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell your story. Because the world is hurting. Go and tell your story. Your story needs to reflect his story and the reconciliation of the cross. Go and tell of the mercy and let the world see that the tomb is empty and there are practical implications of the resurrection. Come and see and go and tell of the mercy because someone with an experience will never be at the mercy to someone with an opinion. Come and see. Go and tell. Let's stand together. And I I don't know who needed to hear this. But the Bible says the harvest is plentiful The workers are few. The churches are packed. Sitting in the pews. And God is looking for some people who will go on dispatch with a missional assignment to reach as many people as possible with the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. And I will continue to devote my time and energy reaching out to people on the streets who are lost and far from God, broken, alienated and in despair. I want them to come and see and fellowship, be a part of the family reunion. But then we scatter, we go and tell of the good news of the coming of God. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, God, move. We pray not just for the visitation of your spirit, we pray for the habitation of your spirit. We ask that you will fill us 
as we go on the move with a courageous vulnerability that we'll be willing to share our own stories no matter how humiliating, no matter how terrifying, that the fame of Jesus will be magnified. God, I pray that Restoration Church will continue to lean into the discomfort in the direction of the broken, the outcasts, the unlovable, the unvoiced and silenced. And we will stand for life and love and truth because it is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. We pray this in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen.